Good morning. Our reading this morning will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. These are the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I do not, th- do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And before we get started this morning, I'm really, really grateful. Last week I was out of town and Chris Morris preached and I got a chance to listen to it online and I was blessed by that message and so grateful for all those that preach and particularly that word from John 9 was so encouraging. We're back in, as you heard Jim read just a moment ago, we're back in Matthew chapter 5 this morning and I would like for you to actually let, kind of put, let's put our capacity for imagination to work because there were people listening to Jesus teach those words that Jim just read. And I would imagine many of the people in the crowd that day that were listening, I would imagine many were interested in what this teacher was saying, the new things that he had to say. I imagine there were likely those in the crowd that were ignorant of, of who Jesus was, and maybe they just kind of got caught up in, in a crowd that was following and listening. And maybe there were others that had heard Jesus but were unconvinced of all that he was saying. They, they weren't quite there yet. And why I say it might be helpful for us to use our imagination is it, it may be helpful for us to kind of project Jesus' teaching into 21st century Newark and imagine what would it be like for a crowd to be filled listening to Jesus. So maybe that would be composed of uh, mid-level managers And maybe that would be composed of single moms and single dads listening to Jesus. And maybe that would be composed of widows and widowers. And maybe it's it's a mechanic, or maybe it's a a middle middle school student, or maybe there, there are teachers, and maybe there are retirees, or maybe it's a nurse or a physical therapist. But but all in all, there are these people gathered around Jesus, and they come with things on their mind. They come with concerns on their heart. So they have bills to pay. They have family situations that, that, are, that are complicated. Maybe they have homework to do. Maybe they have health issues. Maybe they have a vacation to plan. Maybe they have hobbies. Maybe they have high-pressure, high-stress jobs. Maybe they're wondering what the next phase of life holds for them. But there they are listening to Jesus. And maybe I should say it more importantly today, here we are. Here we are listening to Jesus. And Jesus, in all his authority and teaching, actually just blows people away with what he says and how he says it. We know that because at the end of this block of teaching, so it goes from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6 to Matthew 7, all of it's called the Sermon on the Mount. By the time Jesus is done, the biblical word is the people are astonished. I think we could say they are blown away 
by Jesus and by the authority he has to teach what he's teaching. They're blown away by the blessings he's pronounced. So we talked about that over the last few weeks. We, we talked about the blessings he pronounces in verses 1 to 12. And some of the most undeserving people are actually pronounced blessed. Some of the most unsuspecting people are pronounced blessed by Jesus. And he has authority to pronounce those blessings. But he also has authority to commission his followers. And you can imagine these followers, they weren't spectacular. They weren't the elite of society. Yet Jesus looks at them and says, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And Jesus has authority to commission them to be just that. Jesus has authority and he is, he is using that authority in ways that surprise, in ways actually... And the whole sermon series that we've been looking at in the Sermon on the Mount has actually been called Upside Down. He's using his authority to turn probably lots of things that we thought we knew, turn them upside down. But in the passage that Jim just read, as you listened to him read, you heard words like God's law and prophets, talking about scripture and fulfillment, Jesus has switched gears. He's talking about righteousness, the kingdom of heaven, and fulfillment, and law, and prophets. I wonder if while Jesus was teaching the blessings and the commissioning salt and light, I wonder if everybody was tracking with him. But then when he starts talking about law and prophets and fulfillment, I do have to wonder if there were those that were tempted in the crowd to maybe just move on, like, or, or maybe just wait till Jesus says something that they perceive as a little bit more relevant to them. And, and maybe even as you hear it today, you're mildly tempted to maybe tune out when Jesus begins talking about fulfillment and righteousness. And say, you know, Jesus, when you, when you have, when you get back to the, the golden rule, like, I, I think there's some things I could put into my life on Monday And Jesus, when you teach us how to pray, when you give us the Lord's Prayer, I think I can use that in my prayer life. But when you're talking about law and prophets and righteousness, I'm not so sure how that applies to me right now. I wonder if you're tempted to just, maybe not just tune Jesus out completely, but at least not pay quite as close of attention to what Jesus has to say. I think there is that temptation. I'm going to encourage you, obviously I'm going to encourage you not to do that. Not to ever dismiss what God the Son has to say. Not to ever think like, well, Jesus, that wasn't one of the most relevant things you could have told me. I want to encourage you to actually listen and lean, lean forward as Jesus tells you the things that matter most for eternity. Much of this passage, believe it or not, is, is so critical to understanding the Bible and really understanding the whole Christian faith. And I really do have, I, I feel a burden to help us appreciate that. And that's certainly my goal. But I've been praying beyond that. I've been praying all week. Not so much that I would be of help, but that the Holy Spirit would help all of us turn our attention to Jesus and say, whatever he has to say is the most important thing I could possibly hear today. And we would lean in and hear him. So let's listen. First of all, let's listen to Jesus explain how he fits into the bigger story of God. So this is what Jesus is interested in telling you and me today. He's interested in telling you how he fits into the bigger story that God is writing, how who he is and what he came to do fits into everything prior to his arrival. 
He seems eager and ready to tell us that. And so he says this in verse 17. Do not ever think, don't ever think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't ever think that I've come to do that. When you hear law and the prophets, those are probably words that we're not super familiar with. It may be that you're very unfamiliar with what Jesus is actually talking about when he says law and the prophets. We hear the word law especially, and we think rightfully, we think of uh, maybe a, a lawyer, a judge, a police officer, decisions made for right and wrong and enforcement of those things. Jesus is going to mean something different from, from that when he talks about the law and the prophets and how he's not come to abolish them. When you hear law in the Bible, often it does refer to the first several books of your Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are pretty traditionally called the law. But actually, Jesus would have us think about more than just five books and Jesus would have us more think, think about more than just uh, like section one, article three, code number 264R that says this. When Jesus says, I've not come to do away with the law, I think we've got to widen out the scope because when the law is used, it often can regularly refer to this. And, and, I, and I want you to see this definition that Jonathan Pennington gives. So he describes the law in this way really kind of trying to look at all of Matthew and really all of Scripture. The law is the whole foundation story of Israel, explaining both the creation of the world and the creation of Israel as God's beloved covenant people. So see how that's much, much broader than just a few rules, a few few guidelines for behavior. It's actually the story of Israel and the instructions that accompany God's covenant with his people. So it's story and it's instructions. And we don't always think about that when we hear the law, but now it makes total, total sense why Jesus would say, I've not come to set aside the whole story that's been written before me. I've not come to set aside all, that, all of my dealings with the covenant people of God. I've not come to do away with that. God's defining story for this world and his people. He, he says, I've come not to set it aside, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill this defining story of life. One thing we learn immediately is that Jesus sees himself not as if he's just coming out of nowhere, but that he is in continuity with what God's already been doing. He's come in continuity with what God has done. His arrival, he says, I've come. Who talks like that? I've I've come on the scene to accomplish the mission that God has so meticulously planned in eternity past. What Jesus is not, Jesus is not this irreverent person that's just going to abolish everything they knew before. He's not going to flippantly disregard all the teaching that has led up to him. Sometimes you see people that are just flippant with authority. So I'm, I, I'm able to remember back into time when I was in middle school and high school and we'd have a substitute teacher. 
And some of them would like, the hammer would come down. But other substitutes, I think they just wanted to be cool with all the kids in class. And so they would basically like make fun of authority, roll their eyes at everything. Like a teacher said to do this, but whatever. And the, like, I don't know, as an eighth grader, I felt like that, that's fantastic, you know. Jesus hasn't come rolling his eyes at everything that's come before him. As if he can just snidely ignore all that other stuff, the whole story of God before him. That's not Jesus' attitude here. He says, I haven't come to abolish it, but I have come to fulfill it. All the stories, all the teaching, I've come to fulfill it. And when you, when you read that word fulfill, maybe the helpful thing to do is break it up into two parts and say, Jesus is, Jesus is filling to the fullest extent. He's fulfilling. He's filling it to the fullest extent, everything that's come before him. So we think about all that had come before him. We think even to Genesis 1 where, where God speaks of making man in his own image. And we think Jesus fills that to completion. He's the perfect image of God. He's the exact representation of God. He's bringing all of that into completion. We think about the covenant promise that God made with Abraham. And Jesus is saying, I am fulfilling that. I'm bringing that to completion. We think of the sacrificial system. The, you, you read in Exodus and Leviticus a number of, about all those sacrifices that God's people were, ma- were making And Jesus says, I am fulfilling that. I'm bringing that to its full completion. You think about the temple and the the meticulous design of the temple and the tabernacle. Everything had to be done just a certain way. And Jesus says, I am filling that to completion. I'm the new temple. You think about the whole kingdom of David. And Jesus arrives on the scene as the king. The king fulfilling that whole story of the kingdom of David. Even the entire nation of Israel. What Jesus authoritatively announces on that occasion is the whole nation had been pointing to me. I've come to fulfill it. The destination was always Jesus. So that means when we look at the Old Testament and we see a snapshot, if you will, in the background, in the background, it may, it may not even be so clear to us, but in the background, Jesus is always there because it's always meant to point to him. Do we see that? Do we understand that? Now we know the story that God is writing has reached its perfect, completed goal, its perfect, completed end through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus fulfilled it, and God receives all the glory for it. And this is, this is something that even goes on in the future. So Jesus will say this in, in verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, there's not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. There's not going to be one dot of an I or cross of a T. It's, it's going to somehow fade away until I accomplish it all. So do you see how Jesus fits into the bigger story of God? All these things that were foundational to the life of Israel have their completion in Jesus. And before we move on to, to hear more of what Jesus says, I just want to take a moment and, and just want, want to give us a word. So as 
the people of God here at Ogletown. There's people, most of which that would identify as followers of Jesus Christ. And I please, please urge you to treasure the Old Testament, to treasure the first two-thirds of your Bible, to treasure the Bible, the only Bible that Jesus had, to treasure his Bible, to look at those, the Old Testament, and un- understandably, some of it's complicated, some of it's hard. Some of it is not as easily understandable as I think in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. I, I understand that. I mean, that we have a, a table in the back with lots of resources to help you understand like this big plan of God. But, but I, w- I want us to be a church that values the whole story that points to Jesus, his whole backstory. We say, yeah, that's important to us because we want to know what he came to fulfill. It isn't easy to understand everything in the Old Testament. We should do our best to see it through the lens of who Jesus is and what he's done. So here's where we are. Jesus says, I've come to take this whole story that God's been writing and fill it to completion, fill it to the fullest capacity. This is a new age where everything is different because of him. And, and at that moment, we need to be careful. And Jesus gives us some caution here. So let's keep reading in verse 19. So this is what Jesus has. So therefore, in light of this, in light of him filling this story to completion, he says, therefore, we, we, we need to be careful. Whoever will relax one of the least of the commandments that he's just about to give, the one who teaches others to relax these commandments will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So let's, let's continue to listen to Jesus talk and let's listen to him explain, explain how his followers should be thinking about living. So Jesus wants his followers to think a certain way about how they should live. And he says, whoever, whoever thinks it's okay to relax these commandments is actually, is actually jeopardizing their entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So I, I think this is what it's saying. So Jesus has come on the scene and everything is different. But just because everything is different, it doesn't mean, oh yeah, and now, however you live out, doesn't really matter now because Jesus has come. Maybe there's the temptation to think that. If Jesus has ushered in this new era, if this era is not so much about the law and the prophets anymore, then my goodness, we can do what we want. And Jesus would be totally cool with us doing what we want. He would support us in doing whatever we want to do. He would be there for us. And Jesus would never be the one to tell us what to do. Not Jesus. Because remember, that's gone. Is that the way we're supposed to be thinking? Jesus says, no, no. Don't think I've come to relax any of these, my commandments. We have to be ready for Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not sure we are. Frankly, in 2018, in Christianity in America, I'm not sure we're ready for Jesus to tell us things that make us uncomfortable. I was reading something, uh, Mal McSwain, who was uh, a great pioneer in Young Life, said this, if you, if you believe only what you like in the Bible, you really don't believe the Bible, you believe yourself. If you believe only what you like in the Bible, you really don't believe the Bible, you believe yourself. So when Jesus tells us things and teaches us things that make us squirm, 
are we tempted to say, well, can we relax that a little bit? Because Jesus, I think that's too high of a standard. Surely you didn't mean that. That word relax, some of your translations say set aside. It means to just kind of dismiss it arbitrarily or to to make it relative. Well, he didn't mean exactly what he said. He meant something else. Or, Or to just be able to disregard it, to get out from its difficulty. And actually what Jesus is saying, I mean, read the words there. Relaxing the least of these commandments he gives jeopardizes heaven. So make no mistake, Jesus cares how we live. Faithfulness and obedience to what he says really matters. And we need to hear that because in the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about what we do with anger in our words. And he's going to tell us the words we should use and should not use. And he cares about that. He's going to talk about our thought life and, and the lust we have. And he's going to tell us exactly what should be on our mind and what should not be on our mind. And he has authority to do that. He's going to tell us about what our marital commitments should mean if we are in the covenant of marriage. He's going to tell us what it means to tell the truth. And we may be tempted to say, well, I think I can fudge it here, but Jesus is going to tell us otherwise. And he's told us, don't relax this. Jesus is going to tell us what it means to take wrongdoing and not retaliate. Jesus is going to tell us what it means to live with our enemies in love instead of repaying them. I mean, these will not be easy things. Jesus is going to tell you how to pray. I mean, the nerve of Jesus to tell you how to pray, but he will do it. Jesus will tell you how to fast. Jesus will tell you how to give. Jesus will enter into the the private world of your thoughts and your anxieties and your fears. And he will tell you what to do with them. Jesus will deal with the way we snidely look at someone else and and we judge them. And he will tell us what what we should and shouldn't do there as we judge others. I mean, this is authoritative Jesus telling us what we should and shouldn't do. Don't Don't ever make Jesus into a weakling who would never tell you that what you're doing is wrong. Because at that moment, you've crafted him more in your own image. He tells us how to live, and he isn't interested in creative efforts to get around obedience to what he's told us. Here's what you should absolutely know. Please don't mishear me. What you should absolutely know is that Jesus is our only hope. He's our only hope for forgiveness. He has loved us so much that he has given the perfect sacrifice of his life and his death so that we might have life even when we we're sinners. He came to reconcile us with God our Father so that we would be forgiven and have peace. So this is my word to you today. Believe in him. Yes, come to him. Don't delay. Trust in him. But realize the same Jesus who makes this offer of forgiveness is, as one person has put it, God's mighty claim on our whole life. As you think about what Jesus is telling you to do, as we read it even in the weeks to come. As you read it, I hope you read some tomorrow. I hope you read the commandments of Jesus tomorrow. I hope you hear in your ears and in your heart Jesus telling you things to do and telling you things not to do. And in that moment, I hope you're reminded of the wisdom of Jesus Christ, who knows the world infinitely better than any one of us do. Can see the future. I hope you think of the 
the goodness of Jesus Christ that always wants what's best for you. That knows despite your desire to do something, he will tell you you should not go down that road. We want things. We want things that are bad for us. We want things that aren't good for us. And Jesus always wants what's best for us. And will always tell us, don't go down that road. But wait a minute, Jesus, I, I want this. Don't go down that road. But Jesus, I, I was born this way. Don't go down that road. Jesus, I just feel in my heart that, that I should have what I want. Jesus will tell us again and again, this is who I made you. This is how I designed life to work. Follow me, follow my path. Again, we're hearing Jesus and you hear something like Jesus say, you better not relax any of my commandments. I think intuitively we feel, well, I better step up. I better, I, I better bring my A game spiritually. I better start doing a lot better than I have been. Because I can look at other people and they seem to have a, a, a great walk with God. And maybe you come those names. Maybe it, you, you're processing those like great, great religious people that you know, like they really seem to have a walk. And I, I need to get to their level if I'm going to be okay. And I need to quit procrastinating on this. And I better be more like these people that I know. And Jesus makes sure we realize that whatever standard we have of the person that really seems to be doing it well, he blows even that up. You see it in verse 20? He says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're never going to enter heaven. If you want to be granted access into heaven, so the kingdom of heaven is that place of complete perfection where God's will is always done and it always goes well for God's people. That's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, if you want to enter that, you're going to need righteousness that's, that far exceeds, far surpasses the people that you think have got it all together. The hearers of Jesus in verse 20 would not have said, well, those Pharisees aren't that good of guys anyway. What they would have thought is, oh no, none of us are going to be okay. None of us are getting into heaven. None of us are going to be all right. If they don't get into the kingdom of heaven, and we might have righteousness that exceeds theirs, we will never get in. The kind of righteousness would be this unreachable standard. It'd be like looking at, at the price tag of something that you thought you might be interested in buying until you saw it. You go, ooh, I'm not buying that today. Or that, like, put in your cart before you see the price, and then you, you click, like, put in my cart, and then you see the price and go, ooh, I guess we're not getting that. Remove from cart. When this is the standard of righteousness, everybody taps out and goes, we, we cannot meet this. That's what they would have heard. We're never getting to God. But when we hear righteousness, we need to make sure we're hearing it as exactly as Jesus meant it. So another description here from Jonathan Pennington on righteousness. He says righteousness, and this is based on like all of Matthew and really the whole Bible. Righteousness is a whole person behavior that accords with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. I love that, the whole person. So it's not just these things we do and the things we don't that everybody sees. It's everything, the whole person, that accords with what God wants and who God is and what God is bringing. This whole person 
And when we, when we see that as the standard righteousness on our whole person, we say, I don't know that I'm ever going to get there. And Jesus has told us that unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you're not. So that kind of righteousness, I think what Jesus wanted every one of his hearers to feel and what he would want us to, to feel today is that is something I lack. I need someone or something outside of me to give me that because I will never meet that standard. And that kind of righteousness is something not only that I lack, but it deals with the heart. I could make a list of things to avoid and good things to do. But the scribes and Pharisees already own that market. And Jesus said, we've got to do better than that. There's got to be something on the inside, some work on my heart that something's going to have to be done on the inside. And this kind of righteousness is something then. I wonder how many drew the conclusion then, and I wonder how many of us will draw the conclusion today. Is this kind of surpassing righteousness? Is righteousness that only Jesus can bring. Only Jesus can bring. We sing in Christ alone here, and one of the words of that is this gift of love and righteousness. This is something only Jesus can give. And in some ways, he gives it in, in, in two different ways, right? So one of those ways is a status. So Jesus, our faith in him means we are credited with his righteousness. We have a, a status of being righteous. We're, we're declared righteous before God. He saved us not by works of righteousness, which we do, but according to his mercy, we're saved, we're credited with his righteousness. It's Jesus giving it to us. I think there's another way to look at righteousness as well, and that is as we follow him, he is transforming our life into what we are doing. The works we are doing become righteous works. The goal is and has always been that we would be in our decisions, in our behavior, in our heart, in our attitude, in our actions, that we would be conformed to his righteousness. Wasn't the goal always that we would show the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness? Wasn't the goal always that we would look more and more like Jesus when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself? Wasn't that always the goal? To be obedient to his commands, to be filled with good works. And Jesus goes to work on the inside of us. And those, those of us, unrighteous as we are, he begins working on the inside of us and out comes a different life, a transformed life that only Jesus can bring. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is for us and for our righteousness. And what Matthew tells us is the people who first heard these words were blown away. I think partly they realized they needed something that only Jesus could bring. And today, I want us to be astonished again. It may be that up until this point, you've kind of had a shaky relationship with Jesus or no relationship with Jesus. And today, today, you know, you know beyond a doubt you need the righteousness of Jesus. Can I, can I encourage you to ask for it? To pray to God? There's no magic prayer. To cry out to, to, cry out to Jesus and say, I need your righteousness for me. And then tell someone about it. And you say, well, I have questions about that. Well, we'll talk to someone about it. Why, why let that linger? Why not, why not act on that? If Jesus has done so much to provide righteousness for you, why would you linger and wait? 
Why not, why not pursue that? For many of us that we, we look at our life and we say, how will I obey the least commands of Jesus? Jesus, I'm going to need your righteousness working on me and in me. So here we are again saying, Lord, I need you, and I need that righteousness. Can I ask you to bow your head? For the next few moments, let's think and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. We're going to close our service out this morning with a prayer that really asks the Lord to speak to us as we come to him. Ask the Lord to give you what you could not earn. Ask the Lord to change you. On the inside, not just so that others are impressed, but the God who knows you and made you, that he, he would see inside of you and know that you are one of his. Father, accomplish all these things for your glory, for your honor, for your fame, for your renown. I pray for those that need your righteousness desperately and maybe they've never called on you for it, that even in this moment you would give them the faith to believe and then give them the courage to tell someone about it, to go public with their faith in you and your righteousness. Lord, do this for, again, for the glory of your son, Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.